starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him to a paralytic bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in, in their hearts, Why did this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. You are a God who is love. A love that is defined by your holiness. A love that is, does not compromise does not enable our sin, a love that is, loves us too much to allow us to turn away from the source of all love and joy in life, which is yourself. The only one who is worthy of honor and glory and praise, the one for whom we have been made and designed to find our satisfaction and our meaning in God alone. But Father, we confess, though we have the source of all love and all beauty and all goodness and all truth, we have turned away from that and sought fountains, uh, dried fountains that cannot satisfy us. We have hewn cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water and they do not satisfy us. And Father, we confess that we are, are deserving of the punishment, for we have marred and tainted and ruined your good and beautiful creation. But Father, because you're a God of love, you do not leave us in our pitiful, wretched estates. You do not give us what we deserve but you give us instead your love, seen in the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Though we wander, you have sent Christ, the Good Shepherd, to find us in our brokenness, in our wandering, in our lostness, and bring us home. Father, you rejoice when you bring your children home. Father, we thank you that Christ has come, the light that stepped into darkness to bring the, your people back into fellowship and unity with God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, which was self-sacrificial that you laid down your life as an atonement for our sin, for our transgressions, and for our iniquities through Christ. And you now give us his righteousness that we can stand before you, not based on a righteousness that is our own because we are not righteous, but a righteousness that's come out of heaven and given by grace. Father, I pray that we would be captivated by this love, that we would see our need and our hopelessness, our brokenness. We would repent of our attempts to fix ourselves to deny our brokenness, to um, find functional saviors that um, cause us to be drunk with this world that we may not uh, remember our broken estate. And Father, that we would be filled with Christ and the newness of life that only he can bring and the redemption and the restoration that only he can bring. 
that we may have life, which is knowing God and Christ his Son. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I saw Angelina look at me when we started reading, and uh, she realized one of the, the camp speaker preached on this one of his last nights. So all of our campers are theological. Um, they know this text, and we'll see how I can uh, see if I match up. They'll be taking copious notes, I'm sure, and they'll be, be able to review it at the end. Thank you. If you're not already there, turn to Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we return back to Mark, and there's a transition that's going on in chapter 1. You see the great fame and popularity and notoriety that Jesus has. But now in the next chapter, in a few verses, there's a turning point. Hello, everyone. There's a turning point that happens. And that turning point is now Jesus is facing great opposition. The religious leaders do not like his fame. And now you see, as we read the text, there's a great tension that is building. And the atmosphere in Capernaum is a powder keg that day. In the beginning of Mark chapter 2, his popularity is growing to a fever pitch. Uh, rumors and rumblings of Jesus' teaching and his power scurry and go throughout the, the countryside of that sleepy fishing village of Capernaum, so much so that Jesus is not able to stay and enter the village at the end of chapter 1, but he's staying in the outskirts, in the wilderness, in the um, outside the desolate places outside the city. And then in chapter 1, you see this transition where Jesus re-enters Capernaum. Notice verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the house, or even at the door. And he was preaching the word of God to him. The news of Jesus coming back into Capernaum drew out the crowds that were curious to get a look of this miracle worker. It drew out the skeptics that hear these supposed healings in these teachers, and they want to come out for themselves and judge this young, upstart Galilean. And then it also brought out the faithful, the sincere, that knew they needed something that only Jesus could give them. As Mark chapter 2 opens up, Jesus is back home in Capernaum. Most likely this is Peter's house. This is where Jesus would have called his home, uh, living in Peter's house. And, and as Jesus comes home, word quickly spread. Maybe the, that nosy neighbor that only peeks out and sees when you come home and got word out. She told her nephew and her nephew told the neighbor. And every word quickly got out, Jesus is back. He's back in the city and word like wildfire spread and they, they came back to Jesus. So much so that the, if you think the alleyway, the, the door and the, and the street that led to Jesus' house, one person showed up at the door and then another person, another person, to the point where uh, there was a mass of humanity so dense and so thick of people trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and, he, and, and hear the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, maybe to hear what he said or that he would heal their, their sick and their broken, that it became so dense that really nobody can go through. I remember in Chicago, we, uh, Denise and I would go to the, the parade, at, I think it was 4th of July or something, and you think of a parade at maybe at Disney or somewhere where it's dense and you can't move around and you're like, why did we do this? Because we're so jam-packed. And this is way, if you think, this is what it's like. And Jesus is inside this house and he's teaching and it's dense and packed. And it says, uh, as they're all straining to hear Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? Notice that at the end of verse 2, he was preaching the word to them. The proclamation of the kingdom of God is the priority to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus did not come to earth to heal, though he healed often. He didn't come to earth to cast out demons, though he did it often. He didn't even come to make followers in a mass of, of throngs and crowds of people. Notice what he did in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A couple verses later in verse 138, let us go to the next towns, even though these crowds are building, that I may preach there also. And what does it say? Purpose statement. This should be a red flag. This is why I came. So when the scene opens up in this dense pack of humanity, they're trying to get in and get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus is preaching the word to them. And he's telling all of those who are suffering under the weight of sin the answer and the solution to their burden and their plight. Every healing, every exorcism, every follower that followed Jesus in his teaching was intended to further the message of the kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of deliverance, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of truth. In Jesus, the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God was now in the midst of his people. And that kingdom, the king proclaimed that these people must repent of their sin to change their allegiance from the kingdoms of this world and their, bring their allegiance under Christ and believe in his promises and his teaching and his work. The promise of God this morning that we see is this. Only by the power of Jesus, only by the power of Jesus, can you be restored from sin's brokenness. Only by the power of Jesus can you be restored from sin's brokenness. As we read the narrative, the curious crowds and the skeptical scribes and the sincere friends, we each one of us has to ask the question, this morning, have you come to Jesus to receive the forgiveness that's only found in you? And in Jesus, excuse me. Because a lot of people come to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. And not always the right reasons. They come to Jesus for what they can get out of Jesus. Or what they think Jesus can do for them. Or how they can use Jesus to get to something else. But ultimately, we come to Jesus because only in Christ can we find peace with God. So as we see this text, when we say, yes, I am coming to Jesus to find the forgiveness that's in him, we are reminded of two things. One, that we need to stop at nothing to get to Jesus. Stop at nothing to get to Jesus. And that we must trust Jesus' authority. We must trust Jesus' authority. So let me ask you this morning, Ocean Park, do you trust the power of Jesus' word to make you whole? Do you trust Jesus to bring you into fellowship with God? Do you trust Jesus that you may have peace and relationship with God? There's a lot of fringe benefits that we have from Jesus, adoption and justification and salvation. But the end of the gospel, the end of the good news is that we may know God and have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. And as this narrative unfolds in the book of Mark, we are reminded of the power of the promises of Jesus and the power of his work that brings us forgiveness, ultimately leading us to fellowship with God. So as we begin, we are reminded that by these four friends we're about to be introduced to, that we must stop at nothing to get to Jesus. That we must stop at nothing to, G to get to Jesus. If you go back to that alleyway that led to Peter's house where Jesus was, the house is packed full of people. Imagine it was hot, it was dense, but you know what? People were hearing Jesus and they, were, they weren't thinking about that. The doors and the windows and any opportunity they could get a glimpse of Jesus, they were looking in the windows and doors. They were li listening in the earshot and, and passing the word back. This is what he said. This is, I can't believe he's saying. And it was true and it was rich and it was deep. And as you see the crowds amassing and getting bigger, you can see on the horizon at the end of the alleyway, four men, four friends, and they're carrying something. And they're working their way, and it's dense, and it's packed, and they're, they're really working to get close to Jesus. And they wanted, and they had beyond a, knew beyond a shadow of doubt, they had to get to Jesus, because Jesus was their only answer and their only hope. The narrative here shows that these four friends were compassionate, 
they were creative, and, and, and they were confident in their pursuit of Jesus. Notice how these four friends, as we see in the horizon, these figures come, how they were compassionate. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. These four figures, as they come into focus on the horizon, as they, excuse me, pardon me, and they're pushing their way through, uh, they're carrying their friend who is in desperate need of Jesus' healing touch. For he was a paralytic. We don't know why he was a paralytic. If he was born unable to walk, if he had contracted this disease, or he had suffered some kind of accident along the way, all we knew that he was a paralytic and he was unable to walk, and most likely he was quite poor because, they, as another gospel talks about, they were carrying him on a poor man's bed. But we do know this, that this paralytic, paralytic is suffering in a world that is tainted and fallen by sin. The reason that he is paralyzed is because sin has come and devastated our world. It doesn't say that he did A and he became a paralytic. He is a paralytic because there is sin in this world and the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's why there's cancer and sickness and diseases and brokenness and, and uh, physical and mental illness because there's sin in the world. It's not necessarily because we did A and this happened, but we live in a world that is broken and ruined and destroyed. And all of us, when we go through physical pain and suffering and disease, it is a result of the sin that has marred this beautiful, very good creation that God has made. And our brother this paralytic that someday we will see in heaven with a glorified body, standing true and glorifying Christ, is living in a fallen world. Some of us suffer the effects of this world because of willful rebellion and foolish pride. Some of us suffer the effects of sin because we belong to a world infested by sin. But all of us know the brokenness of a world and uh, that is not the way it's supposed to be. Our environment, our government, our culture, our families, our minds, our bodies, there is no one that is exempt from the touch of sin in this world. And as you think, and I see some of your expressions, some of you sigh because you know the weight and the pain and the suffering of sin. And as we say with John the Revelate, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because as Gil taught us this morning, there is an eternity, a great city where those things will not be that way. All sin and sorrow, death and dying will be wiped away because sin is no more. But we for a little while live in a world that is broken by sin. Now each of us are going to respond differently to that. This common reality as brothers and sisters, as humans, we know that some of us deny our sin and does deny the fact that we live in a broken world by drowning our sorrows with materialisms and trinkets that keep us distracted by pleasure and entertainment and business. And we put blinders of ignorance on ourselves so that, that distract us from the brokenness that is so obvious around us, but we don't want to pay attention to them because we don't want to deal with that reality because we don't have an answer to that. Some of us try to fix our brokenness and try to, with education and power and charity and religions, but like all the king's horses and all the king's men, we are unable to put the pieces of our broken world and our broken minds and our broken bodies back together again as they were designed and one day they will be restored. However, the promise of the gospel is this. Jesus through who he is and what he has done, is able to restore and forgive us our sins and our trespasses and our iniquity before God. He is able to restore or redeem our brokenness, and he is working to making us new and whole. The caveat, the condition, like these four friends and their paralytic brother, they must go to Jesus. They must get to Jesus, because it's only in Jesus can wholeness and restoration and redemption be found. All of our functional saviors will not satisfy. They will let us down. 
for a while we will get drunk on the euphoria of our functional Savior, but they will crash, and the crash will leave us in a lower, more dejected state than when we began. Therefore, we immediately see the beauty of the compassion of these four friends, which motivated them to get their friend in need to Jesus, because Jesus was their friend's only hope. Ocean Park, God was able to change the paralytic's life because his friends loved him enough to bring him to Jesus. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of what we should be doing. And probably many of you can remember the person who picked you up and brought you to Jesus. I remember my parents, it was Pete Morata, shared Christ with my father at the fire station and and he picked my father up and brought him to Jesus. And then my, he, my father picked my mother up and brought her to Jesus. And they together picked me up and brought me to Jesus. And this is the thing that we do when we are brought to Jesus and we realize his healing touch and the wholeness. We go and we find our friends and our neighbors and our family who are suffering under the effects of a broken, falling world. And we beg them, we urge them, we plead them, we pick them up and drag them at times to Jesus. God uses compassion-driven labor to restore their broken friends. Not only do we see the compassion of these these four friends, but we see the creativity of these four friends. Verse 4, And when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, the crowd became an obstacle to getting to Jesus. It was a massive crowd of curious onlookers. Now, In the book of Mark, whenever you see the crowds, they're never a good thing. They are always an impediment to getting to Jesus because they're either ambivalent to Jesus or they're opposing Jesus. And the faithful have to go around the crowds, over the crowds, through the crowds, under the crowds to get to Jesus. Always. And just as a side point of application, in church ministry, why do we feel, think that if we make a crowd, we can bring people to Jesus? The more crowds that we make, honestly, keeps the faithful from finding Jesus. These four friends quickly recognized the crowd prohibited them to getting to Jesus, so they either had to return home or they needed to get creative. And so what they did, they went um, going back, they knew it was not an option. So they said, we love our brother too much to leave him in his brokenness. We must get him to Jesus. So what they did is it continues in verse 4. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed of which the paralytic lay. Now this, I I can imagine most of you sat in a Sunday school class, maybe some of you with Carol and Belinda, and you have heard the story of the paralytic being lowered down to get to Jesus. I had a friend last night tell me he remembers as a little boy being captivated when a little church in North Carolina, his teacher brought in a shoebox and cut off the top and tied strings to the end of the top and lowered the little doll down into the foot of Jesus. And just captivated us. We know this story well. And when we think about it, often we think this is, this is incredible because imagine, obviously I'm not Jesus for the disclaimer, but if somebody cut a hole in the roof and lowered somebody down in the middle of service, what a big deal that would be. They'd have to chainsaw and get somebody up. It'd be kind of dangerous. We'd probably have the insurance company, they frowned upon that. But honestly, they had to get creative because they had to go around the crowd and above the crowd, and they went up to the roofs. And the roofs in, in Galilee were you had the block sides, and then you had beams that were long beams that were running across. And you can see these beams here with um, three to four feet of space between those beams. And then you had wood and sticks that were in here. And then a third layer of um, brush and branches and a little bit of mud to keep it hot. And every year before the rainy seasons come, you would have to roll those tops away and replace it and renew it and refresh it. Uh, It was not all that uncommon for somebody to come up and roll that back. We often think it is this radical thing of people ripping the roof off, but it really was not that big of a deal at that time. But what these friends did is they went to the top of the roof when they couldn't get to Jesus, and they lowered their friend down to the foot of Jesus. 
Because Jesus was their only friends, their only hope for their friends. And often in our evangelism, in our sharing the gospel, we need to be creative on how to come and rub elbows with lost people to be able to share the gospel with them. To be able to say, how can I get my friend and my neighbor to Jesus? And we have to think hard about it, like these men had to think hard. Jesus is in there. I'm out here. I can't get to him through this way. I have to be creative. Um, Because Jesus is our friends and our neighbor's only hope. They were compassionate, they were creative, and they were confident. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, your sins are forgiven. It was no small feat to get the, uh, for their friends to get him close to Jesus. It took tenacity, perseverance, and determination. They had to struggle past the ambivalent crowds that stood in the way. They had to fight through the physical barriers that held them back. They had to have the determination to continue the, despite the scornful glances of the scribes that were inside the house. But their faith was strong and determined and confident despite opposition and despite um, disapproval. We know that. Why? Because Jesus looks at their, the man, at the paralytic, who at this point, uh, we imagine that he also had the faith of the four friends. And it says, when, he, they saw, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus granted forgiveness, not healing. Now, if you think through the text, they were probably bringing Jesus to be healed. They wanted to see their friend stand up and maybe like a baby giraffe, start to get his sea legs and be able to walk out and everybody would marvel and they'd be able to celebrate and their friend would be able to work and be able to part, be a productive member of society and not have the, the same tension and agony and ostracism that he would have as laying by the road each day. But Jesus saw the man's whole situation, not his just specific problem, his specific brokenness that they knew not just one specific thing. He saw the big picture. He looked past the surface need to meet his deeper need. He looked past his immediate need to be able to find his real need, and he met his real need. Based on who Jesus was and who Je- what Jesus would do at the cross, he extended the paralyzed sinner uh, the, the full and complete pardon of God for his sins his ultimate need. The paralytic certainly needed healing. Most of all, he needed forgiveness, like all of us. He needed to experience the forgiveness that is only made possible by Jesus. The good news of the kingdom that says, those who walk in darkness have finally seen a great light. The Advent reading that we have at Christmas time, the first candle of Advent we light, remembering that we were in the darkness and the brokenness and the spiritual paralytic that we are, and then the light of God has come and caused us to rise up to be able to follow Jesus. The good news of the kingdom is that Jesus has come to fix the broken, brokenness not only of this man's leg, but the brokenness of his soul. That Jesus has come to heal his spiritual paralysis and his physical paralysis. For to leave him in his brokenness of soul, only fixing his leg would be very unloving and heartless. And to allow him to only be freed from his physical paralysis and leave him in his spiritual paralysis would be cruel. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of felt needs and immediate needs that we think are the most important because they're, they're right in front of us and we feel the urgency of the, of the, and the tyranny of the urgency. But the most important thing that we have is that we are not in a right relationship with God for all have sinned and that we have been separated. We have been um, ostracized. We have been cast out of God's holy presence. And our greatest need is fellowship with God. And we need the work of Christ to restore and redeem us from that and cause us and enable us to be in the presence of God. See, Jesus goes to the root of the problem of the man's brokenness to make him truly whole. 
Only Jesus is able to diagnose and recognize and dispense the necessary grace to restore what sin has broken in this man's life. Because only the power of Jesus can restore us from sin's brokenness. Therefore, we stop at nothing to get to Jesus. And once we're there, we bring other people to Jesus that they may receive the grace of, to, to receive the forgiveness which leads to fellowship with God. But as we see as this development, as the friends fade into the distance and the paralytic himself, um, it, the shift comes over to who Jesus is and the scribes and their, and their skepticism. We must trust Jesus' authority. We must trust Jesus' authority. Notice verse 6 through 11. Jesus is growing in um, popularity and power, and the religious authorities are growing uh, concerned, and their ire is growing, and as they're sitting in this room trying to check out Jesus and find who this young religious leader is who's never had the, the training. He's a Galilean son of a carpenter, and he's now teaching, and, and he's claiming now, much to their uh, abhorrence, that he has the authority to do things that only God can do. If you were to open up the U.S. Army study boards, uh, there is a section that's titled Authority. And it says this, authority is the right to direct soldiers to do certain things. Authority is the legitimate power of leaders to direct soldiers or to take action within the scope of their positions. That is authority. You can tell uh, a commanding officer, can, uh, he or she can tell those under their command to do something, and they have the authority and the power that that, that, that person is um, is obligated to obey that command. As we see the authority of Jesus, he has the authority of God over all of creation. It begins in verses 6 through 8 that the authority of Jesus has the authority to know our hearts. Notice verse 6. Now some scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? If you've ever listened to a speaker, some of you might be doing it right now, like, what in the world is this guy talking about? This, he is off his rocker. And this conversation that happens in your head, Jesus, as Lord of creation, as with authority over creation, knows the thoughts and the skepticism that is happening in the mind of the scribes as he is teaching and preaching the word. He knew they were challenging his authority, and when and they questioned in their heart, who can forgive sins but God alone? The thing is, the scribes were right. Only God can forgive sins. Those who are not God cannot. It's the very thing that Dan read for us this morning. I am the Lord your God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, uh, showing grace to thousands, but not, for, uh, not passing over transgressions. And he is the only one who is able to forgive sin. Only God can do this. And they're thinking, how does this man claim to have the authority that God has? Either Jesus is an egomaniac playing God at the expense of these poor, vulnerable people, or he possesses the authority of God to forgive sin and to set people free. See, if he is an egomaniac claiming what only God can do, he is committing blasphemy. And this is what the scribes realize. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. This is the very, the, the scribes know the law and they know the claims of Jesus and this is where this opposition starts to head. And it's going to come to a head in chapter 3 where they're going to say the reason he can do this is because he is doing these works by the power of Beelzebub, the power of, of Satan himself. But if Jesus really does have the authority of God, 
then they cannot stop him. He is fulfilling the promise of God himself that says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and he will save us. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people will dwell there and and will be forgiven their iniquity. Each one of you, each one of us, as we read through Mark's gospel, must answer the question, is Jesus a blasphemous egomaniac, or does he possess the power and the authority of God to forgive sin? Who is Jesus? Mark is taking his record and he's presenting to you, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? And immediately, verse 8, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Have you ever been called out and people realize uh, really what you were thinking and they got you and you're in that awkward position? Maybe the, the color flushes from you, uh, you're, you're nervous, you stumble. That's the moment the scribes have because Jesus calls them out. He knows their heart and he knows that they're questioning his authority. And ultimately, the, he realizes he's about to up the ante. Because remember, the atmosphere in Capernaum was a powder keg, and Jesus gets out his matches, and he lights a match, and he's about to throw it on the fire. And it's about to explode. And ultimately, the the result from this explosion will be Jesus on the cross, where he came to redeem his people and grant forgiveness for their sin. Notice, not only does Jesus have the authority to know our hearts, but he has the authority to forgive sin. Verses 9 through 11 Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? He's really asking, what's easier? A theological pronouncement about the forgiveness or sin, or do you want empirical proof that the paralytic's sins are forgiven, and which he's able to then be able to rise up and walk? Which one is easier to say? Well, obviously, the theological pronouncement, your sins are forgiven, because nothing happens. There's not a ray of sunshine. The angels don't sing. Uh, a light doesn't shine in, uh, above their head. There's no way to, for, to measure the forgiveness that Jesus pronounces to this man. It's not observable. It's not testable. It's not repeatable. However, to test the re- reliability, the reality of healing, it's a different story. If Jesus looks to the man and says, rise and walk, and he doesn't rise and walk, what's happened? He's a false prophet. His prophecy and his declaration has not come true. Therefore, he is blasphemed. And he's not who he says he is. And the scribes are right. They know the word. They know the scriptures. So Jesus, Jesus really, he's playing a mind game with them. And and he's really, this cat and mouse game that he's playing is really quite, quite good. But here he goes, Jesus goes, and he he lights the match and goes, but that you may know that the Son of Man, this title that he gives himself, that ultimately will be revealed as the one that is sent by God and given authority and power, the the Son of Man, as it says, or the Son of God, revealed in verse 1 of 1, Mark, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus looks at the man and frees him of the sin that is holding him in the grip of his life. The sin that rendered the man's legs useless and lifeless has now that sin has been banished by the Lord of all creation. And the man rises up and walks. And you can imagine if you were in that debt, the, 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 just the hush, the, the, and honestly... The fear, because it's a reoccurring theme in Mark. The fear, because they are standing in the presence of awesome power and holiness, and they're starting to realize this is not no ordinary dude. This is not some sleight of hand artist, some snake oil salesman that we get in here every other Thursday. There is something about Jesus that none of them are able to put their finger on but they fear him. We are drawn to the holy, but we're fearful of the holy. 
And Jesus, they realize, is holy and he is power and he wields the authority that only God has and they're scared. This is the promise of the gospel. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Give me time. We'll get to that in Mark when the eyes begin to open. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. The power of God is restoring and renewing that which is broken by sin. And the desert and the wilderness is being restored and overflowing to the glory of God. The brokenness of a world that is scarred and tainted by sin is being restored and renewed and strength is coming back. And our bodies one day, and this is where God is making all things new, our bodies will be strong and true and pure and be able to experience the glory of God and the beauty of creation in the new heavens and new earth the way we were meant to be in the garden. The paralytic is no longer held by the chains that once bound him to a poor man's bed. He is free to rise and walk because of the powerful word of Christ. J.C. Riles puts it this way. He says, let us think for a moment how great a blessing it is that Jesus is our great high priest, that we know where to go for absolution to be able to be forgiven of sin. Big fancy theological word there. We must have a priest and a sacrifice between God and ourselves. Conscious demands and atonement for our many sins. God's holiness makes it absolutely needful. Without an atoning priest, there can be no peace of soul. Jesus Christ is the very priest that we need. Mighty to forgive and pardon, tender-hearted and willing to save. See, the promise of the gospel, Ocean Park, is that the Lord has come, and he has come to save you. His name is Jesus. He can forgive the sin of those who come to him because he defeated the sin that holds all of creation in his grip. But this is not a cheap grace that Jesus is offering. Oh, no big deal. Let me brush it under the rug. Like, a, like a, an old grandfather who look, goes to his grandson and just pats him on the head, oh, good boy, realizing the boy has just broken a window and ter you know, terrorized the neighborhood. Oh, no big deal. Jesus takes sin very seriously, so much so that he laid his life down to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin that we may have life and have restoration and have be redeemed and restoral and strength and, and fellowship with God. At Calvary, he obeyed the Father's will fully, in his death, he received the full penalty for sin. And three days later, he rose victorious over sin's reign of death, over sin's tyranny on, in this earth. Oshapar, God has not left us alone in a world of sin and death and brokenness. We are not left to wallow in sin's brokenness and sin's bitterness and the dominion of, God, of sin alone. We have a great high priest who has invaded the kingdom of darkness that we were stumbling and in chains and in, 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 in bondage. And he has come and by his mercy and grace through his person and his work and said, your sins are forgiven. To spiritual paralytics, he has said, your sins are forgiven. <clears throat> Why does this matter? When Jesus declares your sins are forgiven, he is not giving us hollow words to make us feel better. He is not offering us cheap grace or empty platitudes. He is declaring that 
that which is in the scope of his authority to grant, because only God can forgive sins. And the word became flesh, and Christ has come. Jesus' promise of forgiveness of sin um, and peace with God is valid because he paid the wages of sin that we uh, earn. Therefore, he can rightly command spiritual paralytics to rise and walk. I have paid the sin that held you in your spiritually dead grave. Do you believe this? Do you believe the reality of our spiritual paralytics? Um, we are spiritual paralytics. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin? If so, stop at nothing to get to Jesus. And once you have tasted the sweetness of the forgiveness, stop at nothing to bring your friends and your family and your neighbors to Jesus, that they may taste the sweetness of the mercy and the grace of God. Because it is only by the power of Jesus can you be restored from sin's brokenness. Stop at nothing to get to Jesus. Trust his authority and rise, take up your mat, and go and glorify God. Notice verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Someday, those newly restored limbs of that man would wither and die. But there would remain with him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Why? Because God in his love and his grace and compassion didn't simply heal his legs, but he forgave his soul that he may know God and have peace with God for eternity. When the resurrection happens, our brother in Christ will rise up strong and true and for eternity sing praises to the Lamb who had forgave him by laying his life down for him. Ocean Park, what is your greatest need? What is your most urgent need that you feel? What is the brokenness that weighs heaviest on your heart this morning? Is it broken desires? perversion and sinful passions and pride and rebellion? Is it broken relationships? Your marriage, your children, your parents, your friends? Is it broken physically? Is it you're struggling with cancer, with weakness, with confusion of mind, with frustration, with depression, with abuse? Is it a broken spirit where you have self-doubt and self-hatred? You have regret for what you have done and you despise and loathe yourself thinking that you could never be forgiven? Is it a compromise that you have committed that you know you shouldn't have done? Is it the broken world that you feel the economic struggle and the societal pressures and the systematic oppression that you feel? All of us, in different ways, in different avenues, feel the brokenness of our world. But let me tell you, these are mere symptoms of your greatest need. Your greatest need is forgiveness for God. You must go to Jesus. Only He is able to make you whole, not by fixing your felt need, by freeing you from your ultimate need, the guilt and shame of your sin. For only when your heart is free from the guilt and shame of sin can you enjoy the grace of God who grants freedom from the brokenness of sin. You can overcome the brokenness of this world because of the transforming power of God's grace. Turn over a couple books to the right to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The first four chapters, Paul writes a very bleak picture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nobody that does good, no, not one, Jew or Greek. And then as he has knocked them all out, he then knocks over the crowds and the obstacles and the self-righteousness in and out. And then he, this bold declaration of Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have justified by faith, what? We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, in our brokenness. We rejoice knowing that suffering produces 
endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Have you gone, Ocean Park, to the source of all life and hope and grace and mercy, which is Jesus, who offers forgiveness of sin and fellowship and peace with God? If you have not, you must do today. Do not delay. Do not allow, allow the ambivalence of the crowd, the scorn of the religious leaders and, and of yesteryear and of today or your own complacency cause you to delay. Stop at nothing to get to Jesus because you may follow all the things of this world, the functional saviors, the things that uh, amuse yourself to death and all of these things that you think are going to satisfy you you, they will fail you every time. Only Christ can you find forgiveness. And if you have gone to Jesus, are you bringing your friends to him, begging and pleading and going to the highways and the byways and saying, the answer to your brokenness is not a better education, a better marriage, a new spouse, a better health and more money, or uh, all these things that we think will satisfy us and solve our problems. The answer to our problems is, is through Christ. Through the mercy in Christ and grace that only Christ gives can we find life-giving, soul-satisfying peace with God who redeems us from our brokenness and makes, and makes our brokenness beautiful for His glory. Ocean Park, only the power of Jesus can restore you from sin's brokenness. Don't allow hopeless to overwhelm you. Go to Jesus. Don't allow the ambivalence of the crowd to obstruct you. Push through to see Jesus. Don't allow the obstacles in your journey to dishearten you. Fight through to see Jesus. Don't allow the skeptical self-righteousness of, of the religious leaders to dissuade, dissuade you. Trust the authority of Jesus when he says, Rise, take up your bed, and follow me, for your sins are forgiven. Because only by the power of Jesus can you be restored from sin's brokenness.